Well, good morning, church. How's everyone today on this cold January day? But hey, it's almost February, right? I always say if I can get through, if I can get through January, I can get through just about anything. February is a short month, and uh, then March is a downhill slide into spring, and I'm looking forward to seeing what this country looks like again in, in the spring. I hear that car dealerships are uh, now, if you buy a new car, they're throwing in two dozen eggs with it when you, when you, buy, the, when you buy the car. Yeah, yeah, so, all right. <laughs> yeah. Paul Harvey, the rest of the story. I love listening to him. He's a master, masterful storyteller. And he told a story, or he didn't tell a story, but Max Lucado in his style told a story of a guy by the name of Artful Eddie. Artful Eddie was the, was the lawyer for Al Capone, and Artful Eddie was one of the guys who put the roar in the Roaring Twenties. He was the slickest of the slick. He had made his money on, and he had learned a trick when betting on dogs. He would overfeed seven of the dogs and bet on the, seventh, or on the eighth dog that hadn't received, and he had made a killing. But his conscience began to bother him so that he took a really bold step and he turned state's evidence on Al Capone. And why did he do it? He wanted to give his son a name. Artful Eddie uh, knew the consequences that would happen as a result of it, and, and they came true. It wasn't no more than a couple months after he became state's evidence that the mob found him and uh, took care of his life. But whatever happened to his son? The son that he wanted to give a name to. And for that, you'll have to listen for the rest of the story at the end. Well, what was his motive? You know, when you, when you think about it, when you look at the cross and you think, why? What really happened at the cross? And you're almost like, duh, pastor. Jesus died for our sins at the cross. Is, is that all, though? Is that all that happened at the cross? Or was there more that was surrounded in what it is that Jesus Christ did for us at the cross? And today we're going to look at three terms, and they're big terms, and I'm going to pull the cookies down as far on the shelf so that every one of us can understand what it is that Jesus did for us at the cross. Because here's the thing. At the cross, God demonstrated his love for us. In unequivocal terms, at the cross, Jesus Christ made the way possible for us to be free. And at the cross, God gave us hope. Hope that is not just for now, but hope that is for all of eternity. And as we begin, we're going to be looking at three terms this morning. And if you don't have, do you, does everybody have a, a, one of those uh, things? I don't know what you Outline. The outline. Thanks, Kim. One of the outlines, because if you don't, you're going to really need one this morning. So if you don't have one, um, what, Al, would you go back and get a few? And so, because you're going to need, my wife. My wife. <laughs> you think that Kim breaks these out for, just for her health? <laughs> Well, the first word that we're going to look at this morning is, is justification. At the cross, at the cross, Jesus, when he died, he justified us. Justification is a legal term. It's a legal term whereby a judge declares somebody either guilty or not guilty. When we were in Montana, we had this uh, drive our kids to school, and there was this section of the road that was a 15-mile-an-hour, it was one block, one block was a 15-mile-an-hour zone. It was, it was a little league field there. Now, this is eastern Montana. This was a very little, little league field. And they had one block that was 15 miles an hour. My kids were late for school, and I'm in the car, and it's like, get, we got to get to school. And so I go through this zone, and 
I was going a little bit too fast, and I got pinched. And the, the cop, he was a brand new cop, and he, he pulls me over, and he says, do you know how fast you were going? I said, I have no idea. And he said, it was 30-something and a 15. I'm thinking, oh, <laughs> this is going to cost me a few dollars. So the problem with living in a small town is everybody knows you, and usually a lot of those people go to your church, too. And so the justice of the peace just happened to be one of the elders of the church. So I go in to, to see him, and, and I've, got my, I've got my ticket in my pocket, and, I, and he says, oh, pastor, a cup of coffee, and we start talking about everything, turkey hunting and all that kind of stuff, and finally he stops, and he says, is there another reason you wanted to talk to me today? At this point, I pull out my ticket, and he goes, pastor. He goes, I guess now I become the judge. And he said, well, did you do it? And I said, well, I said, yeah, I did it. He said, well, then you're guilty. And I said, yeah, I know I'm, I'm guilty. He said, then you're going to have to pay the price. And I'm thinking, I said, okay, so what is 30-something in a 15-mile-an-hour special zone? And he says, this time, first time, 20 bucks. He says, next time, it's going to cost you a whole lot more. I was guilty. And the reason that Jesus died on the cross was because we were guilty. Every single one of us is guilty. In fact, we read in Romans 3.23 that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us. Every one of us has, have, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not only that, we were also told in, <clears throat> in Romans 3 that none of us would have sought out God. Romans 3, chapter 10, Romans 3, 10 to 12 says that there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that seeks after God. There is no one who understands all have turned away and together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Even on our own, we would not have sought out God. We would not have sought him out. It is God's mercy. It is God's mercy that he came seeking out after us. We read in his word that no one comes to the Father unless the one who sent me draws them. God is the one who's been drawing you. Maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, I have no idea why I'm even here in church this morning, but God has been tugging at your heart. God has been causing an, an interest in your heart about him. That's God's mercy in your life and God drawing you to himself because on our own, we wouldn't have done that. All of us are, are guilty. So how do we become righteous before God? On our own, there's not enough good things that we could ever do. It says that there's none righteous. The only way that we could have a relationship with God is if we are righteous. How do we do that? We can't do that. We can't do that any more than I can ask my granddaughter to get in the car and drive to Milwaukee. She can't do it. I can't do it either. We need someone else's righteousness. When Jesus dies on the cross... God takes all of his righteousness, big word for you here, imputed. Simply, what does it mean? He puts all of it in your account. Imagine you have an, a banking account, and you have $100 in your bank account. You know you have $100 in your bank account. You go to, you go to check your account, though, the next day, and you realize you have $100,100 in your bank account. You go to the bank, and you say, um, I think there's been an error. And the lady says, well, what's your account number? She pulls it up for you, and you see the account number, and she says, um, you have $100,100 in your account. But the problem is, I only, I only had $100 yesterday. And she says, yeah, there was, a, there was a deposit into your account. Well, who put it there? Well, I don't know who put it there. It's anonymous, but it's yours. Well, what am I supposed to do with it? What do you mean, what are you supposed to do with it? It's yours. And when Christ died on the cross, and when you prayed to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, all of the righteousness of Christ was put into your account. All of it. Why is it so important? 
Because when God put all of his righteousness into, into your account, God declared you not guilty. Not guilty of your sin. And when God put all of the righteousness in your account, when God looks at you, what does he see? He sees the righteousness of Christ. Why is that so important? In Ephesians chapter 6, we're told to put on the armor of God. The second piece of the armor of God is what? It is the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate, would have, the breastplate on a Roman soldier would have covered the vital organs. What is it the enemy seeks to attack so often in our lives? It is at the heart of who you are. Who you are is based not upon what it is that you've done. It's based on what was done at the cross for you, at, Je- at the cross that Jesus did for you. At the cross, God declared you not guilty. Not guilty. The problem is, the problem with that is, is that some of us still carry that around. We read in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have what? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When you prayed to receive Christ as your personal Savior, you were declared not guilty. The problem is some of us are crippled by guilt. We're absolutely crippled by guilt. Guilt over things that we've done in the past, things that we've done, things that we shouldn't have done, things that we've said, things that we shouldn't have said, or things that we've said, things that we should have said, things that we've done, things that we shouldn't have done. And we're just crippled with that. And here's the thing. When we allow that to cripple us, hear this well, when we allow those things to cripple us, We diminish the power of the cross of Christ. Because when Jesus dies on the cross, he dies not only to forgive you of your sins, but he dies to take the guilt away as well. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's what Christ did for you at the cross. We couldn't have done that on our own. His righteousness was accredited to our account. We're declared not guilty. The question is, are you? Are you still living with guilt? Guilt that's crippling you. Guilt that's keeping you from being the person that that God wants you to be. Guilt over things that you've done in the past. Because what is it the enemy brings up? He brings up all the past and all the things. He brings up what you did yesterday. He brings up what it is you looked at on the internet. He looks at the way in which you talk to the person driving next to you. He brings up all that stuff. And where where do you put on? You put on the breastplate of righteousness, but also the belt of truth. Who are you? For as many as received him, John 1.12 says, For as many as received him, to those who believed on his name, he gave what? He gave the right to become the children of God. You are a child of the Most High God. And when the enemy attacks who you are, you come back with the truth. I am a child of the Most High God. I have been freed. I have been redeemed by the Lord. I have been declared not guilty by the Lord Jesus Christ. I am forgiven. And that guilt is placed at the foot of the cross. Amen? And for some of us, that's where we need to come today, is to take that guilt and that shame that the world has put on us, because for some, they put shame and they put guilt on us. But Christ took it away. He took it away at the cross. So on your little, on your little uh, diagram there, on your, your, your triangle there, I don't know if we have a slide for that, Aaron. Okay. You might want to put your name at the bottom there, where it says, man, why don't you put your name there? And then draw a line from God to man and write the word justification and put a hyphen. Put a hyphen there and write not guilty. You're not guilty. You've been declared not guilty by God. Okay, here's the thing though. Okay, Think of it as a cross. 
Positionally. Positionally, when God looks at you, what does he see? He sees the righteousness of Christ. Okay, I hope I'm not getting too deep for us here. He sees the righteousness of Christ. So that when the enemy comes back and begins to, begins to accuse us, God says, I don't see it. I see the righteousness of my son, Jesus Christ. But, here's a big one, but practically, okay, positionally, we're righteous. Practically, we're working that out, aren't we? Practically, because God said, be holy, even as I am holy. Again, can I do that? I don't know about you. I can't do that on my own. For this, we need Jesus, right? And we're going to learn next week, Jesus says, this is my body, which is given for you. Where in your life today do you need Christ? Where is it in your life that you need Christ and you need him to help you as you walk to be this person that God is calling you to be? The righteousness of Christ. We've been justified. We've been declared not guilty, but it gets better. It gets a lot better. We've been redeemed. Redemption, redemption was, a legal, or was a commercial term. It was a term that referred to uh, being bought back from something, being uh, price being paid for somebody and uh, meaning to buy back something. And many times when someone was in debt, especially in the time in which the Bible is written, when somebody was in debt, they would sell themselves to somebody to help pay off the debt. But a lot of times that's where they stayed because they weren't able to get themselves out of debt. Atitan lai. Uh, because they weren't able to get themselves out of, out of debt. But somebody would come, and somebody, whether it was an uncle, somebody who, who deeply loved them, they would come to that person, and they would say, what is the price for that person? I'll pay off the debt. And whatever the price was, they pay off the debt, and that person was redeemed. That person was redeemed. They were bought back. The price for them was paid. And at the cross, Jesus redeemed us. But redemption is not just a commercial word, it's an accounting word as well. Some of us in this room are accountants. And so we get this, we understand this. On one side of the ledger, this is where we used to be. And it says in Romans chapter 6, verse, 1, verse 11, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive in Christ. This is who you were. Ephesians 2.1, As for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. What does that mean? You were dead in your trespasses and sin. I've been a pastor for over 30 years now, and I've done a ton of funerals. And usually the casket is right here as I'm performing the funeral. Thankfully, thankfully, in, in, those, in those years, I've never had the casket open up and, and somebody come out of the casket. Why? They're dead. They can't change their circumstance on their own. That's what God says about you. He said, before Christ, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. There was nothing you could do. But what does it say that God did? But he made you alive in Christ. Who did it? God did it. He's the one who saved you. I missed a verse before, Aaron. Uh, Titus 3 4, 3, 4, and 5. But when the kindness and love of God appeared, the love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of what? Not because of the righteous things we've done, but because of his mercy. Amen. God saved you. God is the one who redeemed you. He redeemed you, why? Because of his mercy, because he knew that you couldn't change your circumstance on your own. You, could, you don't have enough righteousness, and you don't have the ability to change your circumstance. He redeemed you. He redeemed you from the old way of life. Listen to what he redeemed you with. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. He says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. You remember the empty way of life? Remember what that was like? 
waking up on a, on a Sunday morning worshiping at the porcelain altar. Remember, that? Remember what that was like, the empty way of life? Where when you, when you wake up and you think, I got another day of, of what? When life meant nothing. That, that's, that's what life was all about. And he says, I've redeemed you from that. I've taken you from this place over here where you were dead in your trespasses and sin, and I've moved you over here to where you are alive. And God's word says in John 8, 36, he said, if the Son shall set you free, you're what? Are you? If you were a Christ follower, if you were a Jesus follower, are you free? Because for some of us, we say, I prayed to receive Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, but we live as though we're still in bondage. We live as though we're still back in this column over here where I'm dead in my trespasses and sin. When we're supposed to be over here and we're supposed to be living as though I'm alive. You say, well, what do you mean, Pastor? For some of us, we're living in bondage. We're living in bondage to things that we wish that we could be free of. Maybe for some of us, it's an addiction. An addiction to any number of things. An addiction to pornography, an addiction to alcohol, to drugs. Maybe it's an issue with anger. Or an issue with unforgiveness. There's something that's stuck in your craw and it's just, you just can't let it go. He said, I wish I could be free. <laughs> Loved ones, Christ has set us free. It is for freedom that he has set you free. Amen. You are free in Christ. Not only are you not guilty, but he declares you free. Free in Christ. The question is, are you? Are you free? And maybe for some of us, today is the day that we come to the cross and we say, God, I have been set free, but I've been living as though I am still in bondage. Lord God, would you set me free? I give this to you because God won't take things from us. He'll lay his hand on and say, you know, you're not free in this area. But it's up to us to be willing to say, okay, God, you're right. That's what confession is. Confession is agreeing with God and saying, God, you're right. You're right, I am in bondage. And guys, I just speak to that. We will downplay it every single time. It's not that bad. I didn't look that many times on the internet. Okay, let's go check the history on this. I wasn't that angry. I didn't say that much. Okay, should, do we really want to go there? We will always downplay it. That's our natural default. And God this morning may be laying on your, on, your, on your life this morning things that you need to get right with him. Areas where you're not free. It is for freedom that he set you free. So, on your triangle now. Draw a line from Jesus to you and write redeemed. And a hyphen. You've been set free. You're free. You're free in Christ. Well, now's where it gets a little bit tougher because this one is a, a knuckle buster of a word. Propitiation. Atoning sacrifice is another word for it. The propitiation was a religious word that had a meaning for turning away wrath against a person or persons from, from the gods. And you heard me right. I, put, I said gods because this is, a, this is a word that's borrowed from Greek mythology. And, and the, the Greek gods were gods that were kind of like superhumans. Uh, kind of exaggerated superhumans, where they got jealous, they got angry, they had uh, sexual liaisons with, with, other, with other god and goddesses, and they did stuff, and when they got mad, the people suffered, and the people had to figure out, okay, what do I have to do? Well, in the day and age when John is writing, especially when John is writing in, in, uh, in Revelation to the seven churches, 
He's dealing with people, with Christians and with pagans who are, are worshiping all different kinds of gods. So, for instance, if you've got a sickness, if you're sick or someone in your family has died and there's just a sickness that's just taking one person after another in your family, you've got to figure out, why is this sickness happening to me? So if you lived in a city like Ephesus, you would go to the temple of Asclepius. Asclepius, if you've ever seen the doctor's uh, symbol, you know, the, the snakes going up, Asclepius, that was the god of healing. And you would turn to the God of healing and say, what do I have to do to make sure that my kids or my family are begin, become healthy and think people stop dying? And they'd tell you, okay, you have to do this. You've got to sacrifice this or this. What do I have to do to turn away the wrath? Say you're infertile. You're not able to have children. You would go to the God of Ephesus. You would go to the God of Ar- goddess Artemis in the temple at, at the, in, in Ephesus. And you would say, okay, Ephesus or uh, Artemis, what do I need to do to be able to have children. Because obviously, there's something going on that I'm not able to have children. What do I need to do to turn that away so that I can have children? And John borrows that term. And he borrows that term when he, when he writes in, Romans, in, in, um, excuse me, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. He says this about Jesus. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, but not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. He's the atoning sacrifice. Why? Okay, I, I get it that Jesus died that, that we could be declared not guilty. I get it that he died that we would be redeemed. But what's this stuff about atoning sacrifice? I'm glad you asked. Romans chapter 1, verse 8, 18 says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. I say, the wrath of God. I, I thought God was a loving God. He is a loving God. But He is also holy. Of all the things that, that you talk about God being, okay, God is love, God is perfect, God is kind, God is just, all these things, God is unchangeable. Though all the things that we know about God, none of them are mentioned three times in a row. We don't read that God is love, 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 or that he's perfect, 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 or that he's kind, kind, kind. There's only one of the attributes, only one of the things about God that is mentioned three times, and that is God's holiness. He's holy, holy, holy. And God, God is angry with sin because God is a holy God. He's angry with sin and with sinners. Now hold on with me here. Just hold on with me. Don't, don't go too far with that yet. He's angry with sin and he's angry with sinners. Because he's a holy God. God cannot just simply wink at sin and say, okay, all right, that's not really that bad. And you know, I, I, all right, there's other things worse than that. And I'll, I'll let, no, he can't. Why can't he? After all, isn't he God? He's God, but if he does that, he goes against his character and his nature. By nature, he is holy. By nature, he is just. He is perfectly holy. He is perfectly just. And therefore, sin has to be dealt with. And the wrath of God needs to be dealt with as well. And for this, we need Jesus, right? Because his wrath was poured out upon Jesus. And you want to ask the question, so so why was it poured out upon Jesus? Because he was the only one who could pay the price. He was the only one who could take the wrath of God. You wonder why Jesus asked whether or not that this cup could be passed from him? Three times he asks that. What is he? Because he knows what is to come. And as he hangs on the cross, 
In that darkness, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that brief time, God turns his back away. Because why? Because all of the wrath of God is being poured out upon his son. And in that time, his son paid the price not only for my sins, but he took the wrath of God for me as well. And at that point, I'm not only declared free, I'm not only declared not guilty, but I am also given hope. Hope. Because who did this for me? And all play. Who did this for me? Okay, we're still not very calm. Put the put the uh, the triangle up here, if you would please. So on that last line, write propitiation, and then write hope. You notice where all the arrows are going? Going to us, going to God. How many of those are coming from us? Nothing. We did nothing to earn our salvation. When the love and mercy of God appeared, it says He saved us, not because of the righteous things we've done, but because of His mercy He saved us. He did it. He did it. Your salvation is not based upon anything that you have ever done. Even the faith it took for you to pray to receive Christ is a gift from Him. So, let me ask that question then. Why do I say hope? Because some of us struggle with that hope. I remember working with a guy in a steel mill when I first moved to California. And he would say on, Sunday, on Monday morning, he said, yeah, I got saved again this past, this past weekend. It's like, what do you mean you got saved again this week? Well, I lost my salvation last week. He said, boy, I, was, I lived a horrible life last week, but I got saved again this weekend. It's like, wait a second. If that's the way you're living, I wonder, first of all, have you truly made a commitment to him? Because here's the thing. I did nothing to earn my salvation. It is all the mercy of God. If I did nothing to earn my salvation, what can I do to lose my salvation? Because Jesus is the one that we come back to when he says, and I know all these scriptures about, well, if somebody falls away and does this, but it comes back to, I would say, is that person truly a Christian? Because if you truly pray to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are going to stumble. You are going to fall, but he's going to be there to pick you back up. And God's word says that for as many as, or God's word says that all those who come to me, I will in no way cast them out. It uses a double negative in the Greek. Hold on with me. A double negative in English is, I ain't got no. I hope we don't talk like that. But that's a double negative in the Greek. And when they use that in the Greek, it's to, it's to enforce how emphatic it is. God says, those who come to me, I will no way, no, no, never cast them out. It's God who does the saving. It's God who does the redeeming. It's God the one who does the declaring that we're not guilty. It's God the one. Jesus is the one who takes the wrath of God. And then he says, it's yours if you will receive it. If you will receive it, it's yours. See, this is all received by faith. You say, well, isn't there something else that I have to do? It's all been done. The last thing Jesus says on the cross, the last thing, one word, one word in Greek, three words in English, it is finished. When Jesus dies on the cross, he declares, it is finished. There isn't anything more that needs to be done. I've done it all. All you need to do is to receive that gift. Do you have hope? Do we have hope? So what are we doing with that hope? 
Is it just yours? Or is it meant to be shared? You've heard me say, if it, this is the best thing since sliced bread, then what are we doing keeping it a secret? It, it's, it's to be shared. He's given us hope. During the time of Tsar Nicholas, he had a friend in the court, a guy who was his very, very closest friend. They'd grown up together, uh, played together. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> and his friend had a son who was posted to a military post as a paymaster. And it was a, a far distant post. And at this post, the nights were lonely and there was nobody, no other, no, no women there. And so he began to do what a lot of the other men did, and that was to, to gamble. At first, he was pretty good. He'd never gambled before, and he began to gamble, and he was pretty good at it. And then uh, after a while, his luck turned on him, and he was losing more than he was making. And finally, he was losing everything that he was making. And he thought, well, now what do I do? I still want to gamble, but I don't have any money. The paymaster. I'm the one who has all the money. So I'll just, I'll just take a little bit out today, and I'll, I'll, I'll pay it back when I win. Problem was, the guy didn't win. And pretty soon, the debt was pretty high. They received a letter that said in the next day that there would be an inspector who would come to look at the books. And he knew, okay, I'm done. And he thought, the only way out of this, he said, I have no ability to pay off this debt. The only way out is to, uh, to take my life. So he went to his paymaster's tent, and he, he got out the books, and he wrote a note over the top explaining what had happened. And then he wrote a line, and it said simply this, a great debt who can pay? Question mark. Well, the next day, the inspector came, but along with him came another soldier, or so they thought. They didn't realize it was Tsar Nicholas himself. He had come to inspect the troops. The man had come to inspect the books. He'd come to inspect the troops. And they came quite late, and they decided they'd both turn in for the night and begin the next day. And Tsar Nicholas, as he was heading to his tent, noticed that there was a, there was a light up there on one of the tents. And he walked up to the, to the tent, and he noticed there was a man slouched over a set of books. And he saw the bottle of alcohol, and he saw the, the gun, and, and he saw the note of what it is that he'd done. He thought, this man deserves to be shot. Then he happened to take a closer look at him, and he realized, this is my friend's son. He said, if this becomes known, it'll ruin him. And he said, I, I don't want that to happen. And so Tsar Nicholas wrote one word at the end of that phrase, a, a great debt who can play. And he left the tent. The next morning, the man, the paymaster, woke up and realized he was still alive. And he happened to look down at the books and looked over at the, at the note and realized that there was a word scrawled by the side of that, that question. A great debt who can pay. And the word was simply Nicholas. And next to that was a bag of coins, the exact amount that needed to be paid. A great debt who could pay? Only Christ. Only Christ. Why did he do it? Let me go back to Artful Eddie for a minute. Artful Eddie, the reason he did it was because of his son. He wanted his son to have a name. 
He wanted his son to have a name. And if Art Folletti had lived to see his son, he would have been proud. His son's name was Butch. And Butch was uh, given a, uh, uh, an appointment to Annapolis, where he became a, 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 a fighter pilot. And one of Butch's last things that he ever did was, as he was taking off the USS Lexington to lead his squadron in World War II, he looked down at his gas gauge and realized they hadn't filled up his plane. And so he turned around, he left his squadron and turned around to go back to the ship. And as he went back to the USS Lexington, he realized that the Japanese had come in and they were beginning to bomb the USS Lexington. He came in and he shot down several, others, several of the planes and after his bullets were gone, he did everything in his power to, to take out the other planes. He would come and clip them and things like that. Took out five planes doing that until finally Butch was shot down. He was given the, the Congressional Medal of Honor posthumously after that. And when the city of Chicago built a new airport, they decided to name it after their hero, Butch O'Hare. And now you know the rest of the story. But Butch O'Hare, the reason that his dad did it, he never saw what happened. But the reason Art Folletti did it was for his son. The reason that God paid the price was for us. Was for us. And my question this morning to us is this. I, I look around and I see people I don't know. I see some that I do know, but I don't know your hearts. And the question is, what do we do with this? Okay, great sermon. What do we do with it? Okay, let's look at the first part of it. Are you still racked with guilt? Take it to the cross. You have been declared not guilty. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. You are a child of the Most High God. Does that mean you don't have to go back and make amends for some of the stuff you've done? It does not mean you don't have to do that. It means you should do that. But before God, you are declared not guilty. He said, you're free. Are you? Or are you still living as though you're in bondage? Something has a hold of your life. Do you have hope? Do you have hope that only Christ can bring? It all comes by faith. And this morning, have you taken that step of praying to receive Christ as your personal Savior? Because this is how it's received. It's not something that we take. It's received. We don't accept Jesus. We receive Jesus. I know it's a bit of semantics, but I really believe you receive it because it's a gift. And this morning, the gift is there for us. If you've never done that, if you've never prayed to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, this is your opportunity. Because... Can you get to heaven on your own righteousness? Hmm. Can you change your situation? You're in the coffin. Can you change that? Hmm. Can you, do you want to have the wrath of God poured out upon you? I don't know. I wouldn't. So do you want to receive? And the question is up to you. I want to give you an opportunity. When we go to prayer, if you want to pray to receive Christ, I'm going to ask you to do a simple thing. Just look up at me. Say, well, what do I got to do? Okay, number one, you're not going to fall on the ground and go frothing at the mouth. Okay, some of us believe no, that's what's going to happen. What do I got to do? I got I to, first of all, admit that I'm a sinner. That's where I started this morning. We're all sinners. Me too. This morning, I 
talk to the guy next to me as we're driving in. The old chucklehead is sitting right in the lane, and, and Beck's trying to drive up the hill, and the car's starting to fishtail, and he's sitting right in the blind side. It's like, dude, what do you want? You want her to drive right into your car? It's like, come on, move out of the way. And she says, oh, that, that was that kind? It's like, Ugh. Yeah, no, that wasn't kind. Um, so, uh, yeah, so we had a good start to my day here this morning. Um, but we're all sinners. And we need to admit that we need a Savior. You can't do it. And none of that. You could, none of that. You couldn't do it on your own. And the last thing you need to do is to receive it. And that's what I want to give you an opportunity to do. For the rest of us who have, you're not guilty. You've been set free, and you've been given hope because of Christ. Are you living? Are you living with that hope today? Because for Jesus, because because of Jesus, we have been set free, declared guilty, not guilty, and we've also been given eternal hope in Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father in heaven, I thank you for this, the word this morning. I thank you for its truth. But most of all, precious Father, I thank you for your love for us. You say this is love, not that we loved you, but that you loved us and gave your one and only Son for us. You've said as well that God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Father, as we come before you this morning, we recognize that it's only because of your love and your mercy that we are where we are. And God, for some of us today, this is the first time we've heard some of this stuff. We know what you did by forgiving us of our sins. But we didn't realize that we've been declared not guilty. We've been set free and we've been given hope. And God, I pray that as we leave here today, we would leave, not being racked by guilt, that we would leave free and we would leave with hope. God, the foot of the cross is where we come to this morning and we lay those things. And I want to give you an opportunity. I want to just be quiet for a little bit to allow you to speak with God about what's going on in your heart, those things that he's laying his hands on this morning, and then I'll come back to prayer in just a second. kind father and you truly are a kind father your word says that blessed is the man whose sins the Lord does not count against him you've said in your word that when you forgive you separate our sin as far as the east is from the west you place it behind your back you cast it into the depths of the sea you choose to remember it no more. And God, before you, we stand. We stand as ones who have been saved by grace and grace alone. And Lord, I pray that as you have heard the cries of our hearts this morning, that you'd set us free. That you'd take the guilt once and for all that we have been carrying and that, God, you would give us an eternal hope. Hope that doesn't waver, 
but a hope that, as your word says, we have this hope as an anchor, firm and secure in Christ. And I thank you that, God, you are a God who knows our hearts. You are a God who continues to extend mercy and grace towards us. And this morning, if you came and you say, I have not prayed to receive Christ, I want to do that, I'm going to ask you, if, if you're looking up at me, uh, it means you want to pray to receive Christ. So if you'd like to pray to receive Christ this morning, I just want to give you that opportunity. If you've never done that before, to look up at me and pray. Is that what you want to do? Okay. Thank you. Okay. Kind Father, we thank you again for your gift. And thank you, Lord, for what it is you did for us at the cross. I pray that as we go out into the world this week that we will live as those who have been set free, those who have been raised to life, and those who have been given hope. Lord, bring across our path people this week that we can share this truth with and give us a boldness, a holy boldness that can only come from you. In Jesus' holy name, amen, amen. Lord bless you. May the Lord bless you with peace this week. May the Lord bless you with his strength. May the Lord go before you, whether you're here or in Curacao. May the Lord go with you, and may he let you be a blessing, because it was for a blessing that he has blessed you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Have a great week. See you next week.